0: Welcome! You're listening to the Pastor's Class Podcast. Either you couldn't make it to class last weekend, or you're just wanting a refresher on what was taught, this is the place for you. You can also visit our website at pastorsclass.org for any other information you might need. We really do hope this message blesses you and that you leave here with more knowledge of the Word of God in your heart. And again, thank you for listening. Welcome to the pastor's class. I'll add my welcome. We're going to continue in our study in the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 19 um, tonight. Um, I did miss being here last week. I listened to the to the lesson, but I was away at a middle school FCA camp. There were a little over 400 and some odd middle schoolers, and uh, we had worship on Saturday night at 730. I got a text from my wife um, about 730 saying the one week you missed scott showed a sports clip in class so i understand i missed a big night in class because scott went with sports so i tried to find one that would fit tonight i couldn't but anyway there are some sports stories coming toward the end and i'll share a little bit more about the camp at the end as well but um i'll be honest this um this text was pretty hard for me for a couple weeks i read it three or four times like i always do Try to make some notes, and I really struggled with putting together a lesson. Um, I started this a couple weeks ago, um, but now I I think it's going to be a lot of good came out of it this week. It just uh, maybe I'm just a slow slow learner lately. Maybe it's being with middle schoolers last week, and I don't know. But anyway, but no, I found a cool feature on the Bible app was the audio part. So I started listening to it going to work, and maybe hearing it. I think is what got through my thick skull. So um, we're gonna not read every verse. There's 41 verses, but we'll hit the first couple sections. There's three sections of this, and there's quite a bit of um, lessons learned and some application points and a challenge, and I want to spend actually probably more of the time tonight on that. But a little bit of background. This is when Paul goes into Ephesus. Um, Ephesus back in 2,000 years ago was a major um, port of what modern-day Turkey. Um, It was uh, called the crown jewel of Asia Minor. At its peak, between 300,000 and 400,000 people lived there. It's the center of trade. There was a harbor to the west and a highway to the east. So everything came through there. Um, And what's interesting about Paul going there, he didn't have any friends there. It was probably one of the most pagan environments in that time. Um, He had passed through there before but never spent any time. But this time was a little bit different. He had no idea because it was such a pagan era. They struggled with idolatry. Um, he had no idea if they would accept him. But he went with um, no end date in mind. And we'll see that he stayed for um, a couple years. Um, so let's, uh, we're going to jump into the first section. is just Paul arriving. So I'm going to read verses 1 um, through 10. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So we see when he gets there, um, he knows nobody, but he immediately meets 12 people who, they say are disciples, but we can tell by the way Paul questioned them that there was really no fruit of being a disciple of Jesus. He, they asked, um, you know, Paul asked them in verse 2 if they had received the Holy Spirit. That's a very important question he asked is determined, to determine if they were truly saved or not. They were very vague because they said they had never even heard of the Holy Spirit. That was Paul's clue, right, that these were disciples of John, not Jesus. And so... Paul then shares the gospel with them. We see they receive the Holy Spirit. Um, I believe, um, along with, let me rephrase that. A lot of scholars believe, and I hold, kind of hold to this as well, um, that the reason that they God allowed Paul to lay hands on them, the Holy Spirit to fall on them, versus after, at the moment of salvation, was to prove um, Paul, that Paul was an apostle to them, to give Paul credibility there in Ephesus. Um, and then the, the last section of this, verses 8 through 10, it says he spent three months boldly in a local synagogue. And then he goes into what um, would be like marketplace ministry for a couple of years. And they said he went and preached for these two years after the synagogue between 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. every day. The hottest part of the day is when he had the biggest audience. He's out there boldly proclaiming Jesus and he says in, in verse 10, this continued for two years so that all the residents heard of the, the word of the God, word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So he spent two years and did not move places until everybody had heard the word of God. Not everybody received it, but everybody had heard the word of God. I mean, he was diligent, um, persistent in preaching. The word. And Then the next section, um, verses 11 through 20, we see, we see Paul performing miracles. Um, I'll read um, these verses as well. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So it starts out with miracles. Um, there are two two things here. Is it, it's the witnesses of, of the believers and then miracles being performed. So you get these 12 guys with Paul, disciples. They're witnessing Paul's performing these miracles. So I started doing a little research on miracles um, and it came up with three categories. So when, when Jesus performed miracles, it was typically like three purposes or categories. Compassion or to meet a human need. To teach a truth or to validate his credentials as a Messiah. I think that's the same is true here with Paul. The reason Paul was given the power to perform these miracles was to meet some human needs. He said people were healed, evil spirits were cast out. He's teaching the truth, right? But it's also his credentials as an apostle which is validating what he's saying. It's validating his message but we need to make sure we understand that miracles did not save people, nor do they, right? Miracles must be performed in the midst of the word of God. When the word of God is being spoken, not absent that. He, Paul did this while he was preaching and teaching. And then we also see there were some folks who tried to counterfeit that. They tried to go and do the same thing, right? And it's just like the same thing is true today that when we see God's word and God's moving, the Holy Spirit's moving in in an area, Satan tries to come in and counterfeit that and get a false gospel in there. That can happen in the church, outside the church. But anytime God is moving, the enemy hates it. We all know that. Same thing's happening here. And he's trying to divert the people from seeing the true gospel to seeing um, man Perform these he's trying to confuse people to keep people from following Jesus But just like here, it didn't work. It doesn't work today Right God's plan God's word always prevails. God's word does not return void Jesus can never be discredited by the enemy. He's already his victory's already won We're living through that victory this even said that after this many of them that perform the magic became believers, confessing. They brought their magic books and 50,000 pieces of silver, which would equal the annual salary of about 150 men. Annual salary of 150 men is what they burned because they were turning from the darkness to the light. So verse 20 says, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I like the New Living Translation. It says, So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. That's why Paul went to Ephesus, was for to be used by God for this powerful effect of hundreds and thousands turning their lives to Jesus. The last part of the chapter um, its basically a riot there. Um, there was... So a silversmith, they would create these, these uh, replicas of temples and people when they pass through would buy them and take them back. Well, as more people became believers, guess what? They weren't buying them. So business is not good. So they get mad. They start, they gather, it says about 25,000 people They go into, a, I'm, I'm envisioning a stadium and it's chaotic. Paul wanted to go, but the disciples that were there advised him not to, he didn't. And if you go and read this section, I'm not going to read it all. even says that the people that were there didn't even know why they were there. They were just there because it was chaos and it was loud. Um, it says Demetrius was the one who was one of the silversmith that organized this. Um, he was promoting idolatry. Well, they're mad because Paul was promoting Jesus. That's the whole point of this riot was they were just mad that somebody was coming in and taking away their economy, basically, taking away their money because people were not buying their junk because they were following Jesus and they were burning their stuff. But we also can see when there's 25,000 people that go into this crowd not knowing what's going on, we see, and I think we can apply this today too, that it's easier to follow a crowd and believe a lie than it is to boldly follow Jesus. That's true today. It's easy to follow a crowd. There's no pain. There's no opposition. There's no persecution. You just follow along. Even if you're believing a lie, it can sound good. There's a lot of that today. And that's what these people were doing. But it's difficult to do what Paul was doing and to live boldly to follow Jesus and what these people that um, burned all their magic books, I mean, that's bold. Taking a stand against Jesus is not easy. So what I did... Um, was I came up with a couple lessons I think we can learn from Paul here, um, and then kind of a three motivations that we can apply to those lessons. The first thing is learn from past success. I mentioned at the beginning that Paul Ephesus was not his first stop. You know, so Paul's learn using his past missionary experience in um, I'm not going to say easier places, but um, less pagan less chaotic to go to Ephesus. We all have past successes that we can lean on um, in our life. When we go into a difficult situation, we go into a new territory, we have successes that we can, we can lean on. Um, he, had, he had already suffered attacks at previous stops. So he was ready, right? He had survived them because he, he went to Ephesus. So he was, he was ready to engage his pagan culture um the second thing is we got to use what god has provided paul went to ephesus by himself didn't know anybody but the first thing happened he meets 12 guys right so god gave him 12 people to help him on this missionary journey but a lot of times we don't want to use what god has provided we want to give god a list of things we need you know i'll do this but i need x y and z right But we can learn here that God's going to give us exactly what we need. Look at Paul's entire life. The end of his life, he's in prison. We still read a lot of those letters today. He used a pen and a paper. That's all he needed at the time in prison was a pen and a paper. And now billions of people know about Jesus because Paul used what was provided at every step of his walk, whether it's on a big missionary journey or in prison cell by himself with a pen and paper. Think about that. He didn't have a laundry list of things he needed. He just, you know, wherever God had him, God provided. And the last thing, and this is not the easiest one either, is to leave the results to, to God. But I know for me, I like to control things. I like to control results. You know, I want to know the outcome before I go. Because if I don't like the outcome before I go, then I may not go, Right? <laughs> But he's a perfect example of it, right? Again, Paul is a good example of that. So I want to ask you a question. Where's your Ephesus, or what is your Ephesus? You know, when I was growing up, I was telling Sarah today, I didn't, I didn't go look up the lyrics, but um, growing up in a small Baptist church in the country, we sang a song a lot, um, Wherever He Leads, I'll Go. I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. Um, wherever He Leads, I'll Go. And I just remember we sang it all the time, but I don't think it meant anything to me because it was just something we sang. 1st, 2nd, and 4th first, typically. Um, but I think a lot of us would sing it like wherever he leads, I'll go as long as I remain in my bubble. As long as I remain in my house, as long as I have this car, as long as I'm in this school, I'll go. We don't truly mean wherever he leads, I'll go. Well, that's what Paul did when he went to Ephesus. I'm not saying that God's calling everybody in here to go to a place like Ephesus. It could be your neighborhood, your school, your work. But God's calling all of us somewhere. We all have an emphasis in our life. We live in a pagan culture. It's no different than this. Paul's not facing anything that we won't face today, right? And what did he do? He proclaimed Jesus boldly. And he didn't worry about the results. He let the Holy Spirit convict the people. He loved people to Jesus, right? I'm going to read a story. I got this email on Tuesday from one of the uh, church planner in Baltimore. Um, A member of the Prestonwood Network now. He's in a very tough area in Baltimore. Moved his family um, up there. Kind of give you a picture before I I read the story. I visited there in August. Met the guy. He was riding me around their neighborhood. They live in these row houses. They've been there two or three years now, and I don't know how much money they spend on insurance deductibles, replacing windows out of their cars just because of where they live. Cars just get hit. All the time, thousands of dollars just on window glass. And they have four or five kids. And I'm thinking, dude, why do you live with your family here? That's where God called us. I mean, and so I get an email every couple weeks from him, um, just prayer requests. And the stories are unbelievable. Sometimes you scratch your head and go, really? You're living in this? So th- this was this week. The email came on Tuesday. So this is about his neighbor, Marco. Yesterday, within a couple of hours, when I walked in the door, I was sitting in my bed with my computer on my lap, writing when I heard a scream from outside. I looked outside the second floor window to see two men, 10 feet from my front door, attacking one of my neighbors, Marco, robbing him at gunpoint. Kelly, which is his wife, was at gymnastics with four of our kids, and I had Judah and Shiloh, which is two of his young boys. I told them to stay upstairs, ran outside to see Marco, face down on the street, with a gun in his back. They went through his pockets, took his phone and keys, then stepped to Marco's car, literally three feet from him, to steal it. I ran outside and pulled Marco into my house where he called the police. All are safe, thank God. Honestly, when I went out the door, a lot of things ran through my mind. I might get shot. What about my boys? But I realized immediately that if I did nothing and Marco was hurt, I couldn't live with myself. That's what any of us would do, I know please pray for the safety of my family and pray that God would use our family and our church to begin in tiny ways to change the culture. That's a dude that God says, I'm going to take your family from the comfort. I want you to go to Baltimore. You don't know anybody in Baltimore. I want you to live in this crazy neighborhood, and it's going to be dangerous every day. I want you to live boldly for Jesus. That's what we're being called to do. I'm not saying everybody's called to live in a neighborhood like that, but to live like that. God, God provides everything they need, I promise you. I mean, the stories of what God is doing through this, through this young couple, their faithfulness is, is, is unbelievable. The number of people getting saved is unreal. And in one of the toughest cities in America, I mean, Baltimore is not an easy city at all. Um, that's what it's all about right there. But how do we do it? I think we've got to be motivated by three things. We've got to be motivated by God's word and not man or man, or religious laws. We talk about that a lot in here. We've got to be stay in God's word. The second thing, and Jared just preached a whole sermon on this, we've got to be motivated by love, not anger. Yes, we need to hate sin, but we've got to love people to Jesus. If we're constantly out there letting people know what we're against, we're not loving people to Jesus. We're turning them away. All they know is what Stuart is against. We should be the most loving people this lost world knows. If we're not the most loving people out there, we're not living the way Jesus told us to live. Because Jared read it, John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know you are my disciples if you have loved one another. All people will know that we're Jesus' disciples if we love one another. Again, it's not an easy thing to do. It's easy when we're in a um, crazy culture. It's easy to point out sin, and um, we want to do the Holy Spirit's job and convict people before they come to Jesus. But that's not the sequence. Our job is just to love them. Let the Holy Spirit do the convicting. I promise you that's where true life change happens. And if we want to change the culture, that's what we have to do. But it's a lot easier. It's a little more comfortable for us to point out sin. You know, that person's wrong, they're wrong, wrong. You know, that's sin. You're living in sin. That's easy. Anybody can do that. But the hard part is to do what God called us to do, and that's to love people. So a quick uh, sports story for you. I was watching NFL Network this afternoon and there was a, um, a marathon on the football life. I love those shows. It's incredible. Well, this was on Aeneas Williams, cornerback, longtime cornerback um, for the Cardinals, finished with the Rams. Um, I think out of 13 years, he had played on 11 losing teams. I mean, that's um, not a lot of fun. But toward the end of his career, he and his wife felt like that God was calling to a change, They so go to St. Louis. And now his church is actually in Ferguson, Missouri. It's one of the first phone calls the mayor of Ferguson made in 2014 when they had the riots. But they interviewed, uh, London Fletcher was a linebacker for the Rams. Um, do I? Yeah, and, and with the Redskins, yes, I do remember the Redskins years as well. That's right, hey, there we go, wow. I'm gonna get back to this. But he said that Aeneas Williams never was judgmental, never pointed out what they were doing wrong. He said he loved me. Two years after they were teammates, London Fletcher got saved. He said, my life has never been the same because of the way that Aeneas Williams treated me as a man. I was like, wow, that's love. That is true love. The last thing is we've got to be motivated by God's glory, not praise of man. That's not easy either, right? We all, I mean, Jared talked about the social media thing. I mean, we all like to get um, patted on the back. We all like attention. We all like praise. But if that's our motivation, we're wrong. A friend of mine who I met just in the last year through my wife, who's from my wife's hometown, has recently written a book. It's going to be released in a couple weeks. Um, Incredible story. He was in high school, Brenham, Texas. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Today's show came to Brenham, Texas, before Bluebell was famous, did a live shot of this guy in high school. He was that good of a pitcher. He still holds some records, but through some injuries, he goes on to play at Texas A&M, through some injuries, didn't finish his college career, and then alcohol takes over. Just lost his wife, lost his kids. Just in the last couple of years, in the middle of the night, he says, I, He said, the, my first phone conversation with him was, he says, Stuart, in 2014, I wanted to die. And I called a friend at 2 a.m. And they came over and gave his life to Jesus. But he's written a book recently. He struggled with it. It took him a couple of years. People kept telling me, you got to write a book. You can make a lot of money. You need to start his speaking engagements. And he, he just he struggled with it because he, he didn't want pride to take over. And um, I just talked to him two days ago. He said, continue to pray for me because the book is about to be released. And I'm getting a lot of attention. I don't like it. I want this to be about God, not about John Peters. And I thought, man. And he does, he's got um, Nolan Ryan endorsed the book. John Smoltz, one of his heroes for the Braves wrote the forward in the book. I mean, God is having incredible favor on this guy. And I think it's because his desire is to bring God glory. He's restored the relationship with his kids and his ex-wife have a decent relationship where they can parent together. To me, that is the perfect example of living for God's glory, not for um, the praise of man so the challenge i want you to think about this question tonight and this week i wrote down for myself am i doing anything for the kingdom that would stir up the enemy in opposition just think about how how you're living your life are you doing anything that the enemy doesn't like that wants to take down hopefully we all are right one more application story i guess or illustration um I saw a story on Twitter from Jason Powell. He's a on staff at Harvest Church in California. All right, California, which if you listen to the media, nothing good can happen in California, right? Okay, you ready? They've been in five public high schools this year during school hours with the permission of the school system to preach the gospel. All they got to do is bring pizza. All right? This week... They were in a high school, 250 kids showed up, voluntarily showed up at lunch, during school hours on a public school campus in a state that allegedly hates everything about God. 57 kids got saved. Wow. I'll look at the calendar, and it's, uh, it's March the 10th. That's the fifth school this year. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's, that's another example of saying I'm motivated by God's glory, Right? I'm not, motivated, I'm not worried about the praise of man, I'm motivated by God's word, and I'm motivated by love. You know, we saw it um, last week at this middle school camp, 420 kids. I don't think I've ever been around teenagers, especially 12, 12 to 14 year olds, that really passionately worship Jesus like I saw. And last Saturday night was a night that we had prayed for that um, they're gonna give the public invitation and the, the, the worship was phenomenal. Um, this, you could just feel the Holy Spirit moving and the speaker gets up and pretty much scrapped his whole sermon and just gives a couple of little illustration points on testimony. And he says, all right, I'm gonna, and he starts talking about kids being chained down by depression, by bullying, by family junk and all, all these crazy things that teenagers deal with. And he said, I want you to come run into Jesus. If you look at the numbers, it's about 350 of those kids. I'm not kidding you, sprinted to the front. I almost got to run out, I was in the back and they had the leaders across the front of the stage. I mean, kids are running to Jesus, and out of that, 106 kids gave their life to Jesus, over 200 rededic- rededicated, and I made my way up because I knew one of the young men that went for and I'm talking to him, and before I get there, I pray with a, a, a young boy who's age 12. He says, I hadn't seen my dad in three years in jail. I don't know what to do. Another young man says, my 18-year-old, he's given his life to Jesus, he's, he's, he's 13, seventh grader. His, uh, his brother's getting out of juvenile in, in two weeks for drugs he's been in for two years his family's not believers I mean story after story there's so many kids up front this was the most incredible part of it there's teenagers middle schoolers okay middle school keep that in your mind middle school kids passionately praying for one another praying for kids they didn't even know crying out to God for other kids I've never seen that in middle school right (laughs) point taken right But, I mean, you think about, we, we we put down middle schoolers a lot. I have one at home. It's not easy. Right? They're moody and grumpy, and they know everything. Right? But when God gets a hold of their heart, I mean, change a culture through this. So, you know, the media says that um, God's not welcome anywhere. That's wrong. Right? We just need to, as adults in here, we need to decide that we're going to live boldly for Jesus. And everybody... And just, and not worry about the noise inside the church and outside, right? And then we can have, because God all is calling us to an Ephesus. All right, amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for this class. Thank you for um, your word. We thank you for the example of Paul and just trusting you for everything he needed just boldly proclaiming you. And God, I just pray that each one of us would uh, be motivated by your word, would be motivated by love, We would be known as people of love, that we would love people to Jesus, love people to you, and that we would just be motivated to bring you glory and nothing, nothing else. God, I just pray for each one of us. We know that you have a plan for us. We know that you're calling each one of us to our own little Ephesus. I pray that we would seek you for that. And then we would trust you to provide everything we need to follow you wherever you're calling us to go. Some, it may be literally calling away somewhere difficult. But a lot of us, it's just right in our own neighborhoods. I just pray each one of us, God, would embrace that as our mission field, that we would live boldly for you and never stop proclaiming you. All those who pray in your name, amen.